Hello everyone, and welcome to the File Room Podcast, a podcast about the X-Files. That is also a desperate attempt to reconnect a friendship across the Atlantic. I'm Edwin Davis. And I'm Michaela Livingston-Banks. If you're new to the X-Files or watching it for the tenth time, watch along with us while we explore the dark corners of the American psyche. Via a TV show from the 90s. All right, Ed, how are you doing? Happy New Year. Good, yes. Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, this is the first episode we've recorded since the Christmas and New Year's break. Uh, did you did you have a nice one? Did you have a relaxing time off? Yep, um, had a very relaxing time off work and had a pretty low-key New Year's kind of gathering with a few folk for dinner, which was nice. It was nice. It was fun, but low-key um how about you did you uh strike out and enjoy the world or are you in and doing your own thing in and doing my own thing new year's to me has never really been a holiday that i put a lot of stock into mainly because like when i was a kid my parents managed pubs so like new year's was always like really stressful for them and then Mm. when i was sort of 16 i started working at the pub in usually just bottling up actually maybe even younger than that probably 15 probably shouldn't say that that's probably probably <laughs> yeah it's, it's war into the bridge now probably violated some laws um yeah. but you know like so you'd work on new year's eve so it'd be very very stressful um fun because like you'd be, it'd be very active and then you'd get like yeah. the thing at the end of the night where everyone's gone and you're just kind of like wow it's like a new year and we're all really tired but um very mm. stressful and then well, I used to work at a cinema back in, in the UK in Sheffield. Um, like we would always be working on New Year's Eve and working New Year's Day. So certainly when you and I lived together, like I, I think there were several times when I would just like come back and just be re- like be like a party on our house and I'd mm. be just really exhausted and then have to like go and get changed and then you know, mingle. So New Year's have always been to me like a source of tremendous stress. So now that Aww. you know, I'm a, I have a job where I don't have to worry about anything happening on New Year's. Um, New Year's for me is just like, okay, this is a time where I just like curl up with a book or something. Um, yeah, so so it was it was nice and quiet and very relaxed for me, which um, good, is kind of good. what I want out of it. Um, yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that people like put a lot of uh, stock in or put a lot of pressure on having to be super amazing and whatnot. And I like growing up in Scotland, obviously Hogmanay mm. is quite a good thing. And I feel like the legend of Hogmanay is that it's like a week long bender or something. <laughs> um, but, you know, going to the street party in Edinburgh, um, like that's always been fun. So I do, I do like a good shindig. Um, there's nothing like singing "Old Lang Syne" with a bunch of friends, even though yeah. the song is about, <laughs> literally about forgetting old friends or whatever. Um, but yeah, well, looking ahead to the the rest of the year, then uh, what's what do you, what do you think is what what do you expect? What's on your cards for 2024? Uh, well, I think it's going to be uh, a fun year for us recording this podcast, I think. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really looking forward to us kind of like continuing on with this. And uh, we're recording this, I think, the day before the first episode actually goes live. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how people respond to the episode as, as it goes out. Um, mm-hmm. I am also, you know, like I, I don't put a lot of stock in like resolutions and things like that. But I do like to set myself little projects at the start of the year. and. Yeah. I've got a few for this year. I have one that is somewhat sensible and one that is somewhat stupid. The sensible one <laughs> <Pray> is <tell. laughs> the sensible one is I want to read like a big classic work of literature that I haven't read before. I'm thinking something like Ulysses or oh wow yeah or Brothers Karamazov or War and Peace. Oh, right. yep. Something that's like a big a big solid um, book stop uh, a doorstop of a book. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Because it's been a while since I've really kind of like tackled one of the big canonical books, uh, and the big. Have stupid... you already done War and Peace? Uh, no, War and Peace is definitely in the in the mix. Um, <laughs> that one's probably the easiest of those to read, I would yeah. think, because it's it's very episodic. Then um, the other, the stupid one, and this ties into something we were talking a little bit about before off mic. Um, so there's a movie logging app called Letterboxd. 
which people yep. use to log the movies that they've watched in a year. And around about this time of the year, everyone gets emails from them saying like, oh, this is how many movies you watched over the course of the year. Here were your top directors, top stars and things like that, uh, which I always find very fun. And people post them on social media. And I saw lots of people on Twitter posting theirs. And there were some people who were in the same sort of range to me, which is about 300 films watched over the course of the year. Wow. And there were some people who were in the like a thousand film a year How? range. Yeah. How? Uh, There's only 365 <laughs> days in a year. Yeah, How? That's what I'm thinking. And that Do is Do they why watch them at double speed? <laughs> maybe. Uh, that, that, that certainly would speed things up. Um, but that got me thinking, how is that something you can do? Is that something I could do? So my resolution or project for this year is to see if I can watch a thousand movies over the course of the year. Not all features, I'm going to say. I I think if you throw shorts in there, it becomes a lot easier, um, as evidenced by the fact that we are currently seven days into the year and I have watched 27 movies and Whoa. 12 of them were shorts by Kenneth Anger. So that kind right. of helps helps fill out the numbers a little bit. Um, yeah, you've watched like a month's worth of things, yeah. movies in that time. See, obviously, podcast, you can't see me, but I was doing that kind of, okay, sure you are. <laughs> I, I, w- I was your scully to your Mulder <laughs> movie madness in that moment. I was like, sure, sure, Ed, I'm here to support you in this endeavor, but mm-hmm. like, that is, that is mad. That yeah. is, but good luck. <laughs> if anyone can do it, Ed, I believe in you. Yeah, even if I fall short, I think the upside of this is like, it's probably going to force me to like, watch movies that have been on my to watch list for a while but i always kind of put off because i feel like uh you know i'll get to that when i feel like it but now if it's like oh no you've got a quota to hit then it's then it's time to start actually watching some of those movies that i've had on blu-ray for like five years and never actually watched so that's that's uh, that's um even if i only make it to like 700 or something i'm sure like i'll That's finally, still amazing yeah I'll, and i'll still be able to tick off like a bunch of movies that i should have watched by now but keep to keep delaying um so yeah so that's my big stupid pl- uh, project for the year and we'll see how that goes um amazing amazing um i'm not really one for resolutions um trying to eat slightly better in the sense a very very boring thing which i was kind of doing before the new year mm, struck mm-hmm. anyway but that's just eat more protein which yeah. is really lame but like <laughs> i don't eat enough protein and um, for the point of exercise and fitness, I'm going to try and eat more protein. Yeah, that's a good one. But it's not for like a whole year. Like that's just a thing just to do better in general. But um, yeah, no. So I'm just looking forward to my holidays this year uh, and looking forward to this and looking forward to, um, I think Severance season two is out. Really enjoyed that. So that's probably one of the best things I think I saw on TV last year um i don't know if it came out last year because i maybe i cottoned on to it a little late but yeah sadly daredevil is in fact coming out in 2025 i Ugh. think so don't have that to look forward to this year um but yeah lots of stuff and who knows maybe it'll be the alien invasion this year <laughs> yeah maybe we'll we'll, we'll maybe. see maybe what what could go wrong this year ed she says <laughs> confidently um, well, speaking of aliens, then, shall we get into this episode? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so it's aliens again this week. Uh, so a quick uh, rundown of the episode Conduit. Um, we're on episode four, season one. Um, so it starts out in our favorite, the forest, or at least a forest side, lakeside campsite. It's nighttime. Um, and the cold opener is essentially these, there are two kids sleeping outside um, and there's a camper van and there's a mum inside um, and then there's the kind of classical oh my gosh aliens the the camper van starts shaking violently bright lights um mum's knocked out of bed and whatever and once that subsides the mum tries to get out to see what's going on there's kids screaming to their mum ah! 
And essentially what we find out is that uh, one of the kids who's teenager Ruby is gone. She's missing. So that's our cold opener, um, essentially setting up the mystery of, of where this teenage girl Ruby has gone to. Um, and so, yeah, the, the way this is set up is that Scully's called in to see uh, Deputy Director Blevins um, and he's not particularly happy about um, the fact that Mulder's trying to open up a case file on this because essentially all he's got is a tab tabloid headline, which, you know, not great evidence. Um, but one of the key things here right at the start of the episode is that um, Blevins and Scully have a back and forth about whether or not um, she thinks that maybe Mulder's uh, judgment has been clouded. Brings up Mulder's sister's disappearance. Um, and so Mulder, and Mulder then talks to Scully about what he thinks is going on. And she seems convinced. So off to Sioux City they go in Iowa um, to go check it out. Um, mainly, I think, because it's a, a, a kind of UFO hotspot. Um, and yeah, when they get there, they start investigating, they speak to the mum, they come across creepy Kevin, I'm going to call him. <laughs> um, essentially, he's writing out a bunch of ones and zeros on a piece of paper, and he's like, it's coming from there. And he's just pointing at a TV, which is playing static. Um, and this is where the episode gets its name from, um, this idea that this this kid is kind of receiving messages, broadcasts through the TV um, somehow. Uh, yeah, and they go on to investigate. There's, you know, red herrings here and there. You know, has Ruby run off with her boyfriend? Has she been abducted by aliens? The sheriff thinks she's, you know, up to no good and she's just run off. Doesn't believe the mum's story. Um, and yeah, the episode occurs. <laughs> Ultimately, Ruby ends up reappearing again, um, but doesn't want to talk about it, and and the mum doesn't want to talk about it. Um, so yeah, we've got these sort of three main components to the episode. We've got a missing girl and um, whether or not it's aliens and the investigation to that, um, and the other sort of weird bit of this, I guess, to convince us it is something weird is you know this element of her brother creepy kevin who we really need to talk about um, <laughs> um who who is playing this part as some sort of conduit receiving messages but um crucially i think this is mainly i think uh, a sort of character episode and it's really sort of trying to get into Mulder's kind of compulsion his his determination to kind of figure out what's happened to this girl because obviously it has um a lot tied up with his his quest to find his sister or to understand what happened to his sister um so yeah that's it in somewhat of a nutshell what did you think of this episode ed i i was really uh, taken with this episode in a way that i don't think i was on previous viewings like you and i were talking off mic last time we recorded yeah. Uh, when we like how we basically both had no memory of what this episode was. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I, th I, I was, I thought it was really good at the character stuff. Um, yeah. To to get a bit of real for a moment here, you know, I had a younger sister who passed away about ten years ago, and this is the first time I've been watching that episode since that happened. And so, like, I found Duchovny's like his his clear you know the way he plays uh, Mulder's grief and his obsession about mm. his sister I found that to be very very affecting this time in a way that may have been like academic before in this time and place like I, I feel it a lot more and I kind of recognize a lot of myself in that particularly when uh, you know yeah. he's talking about um, or, or when uh, Scully is listening back to his like hypnosis stuff at the end and he's talking about um, like th ways he feels like he could have saved her or whatever. Like, yeah. like th those are all things that I I kind of still struggle with and things like that. So yeah. I think that element of it is is really strong, and I think makes up for the fact that you know you just ran through that synopsis. Now it's not a very plot heavy episode. No. Um, there's very little act. If you go like plot beats, there's very little that happens and. 
I think a lot of the different elements of it like don't really they're more kind of like suggested than kind of like strung yeah. together neatly but mm-hmm. um if we're looking at the like overall overall storytelling of what the show has done over the course of the four episodes like we had the first two episodes established established characters and the conspiracy then obviously squeeze you had like a really good monster of the week this one really feels like trying to pull out the the, the thread of Mulder's sister which was mentioned in the mm-hmm. pilot and now you kind of get more development of that so it, it kind of feels like a really smart time in like planning the season out that this is where you would want to develop that more and I think it does a really good job with that yeah I, I absolutely think it is the absolute strongest part of it and like when I was watching it admittedly I felt like maybe I would feel differently about it if I'd had the sort of experience you might because on it in all honesty when I was watching it I was mainly wondering how you would feel about it to yeah. be honest because yeah. I could see that that parallel um because and and it is it is the strongest bit of it and in a way whilst it's you say it's not a plot heavy it's not a complex plot episode i kind of one wondered if maybe there was maybe too much much in the mix Mm. i kind of wished it would have kind of lent more heavily on on just the character aspect of it yeah. Because like even though it's called conduit and you know we've got creepy Kevin going on, like it felt like this weird add-on that that kind of was and wasn't really part of it. It was like either mm. do more of that or do more of the character thing, but the, the the and bringing in the fact that there was the doubt over what actually the 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 kind of true reason behind ruby's disappearance was you know was it because either she was murdered by this tessa lass who shows up in it or because she ran off with her boyfriend or because she was abducted by aliens any one of those things alone could have made a really good rich episode Mm. um but but yeah, I definitely think, it, and it's interesting. So of the production notes that I read about this, um, some of the you know interviews with Chris Carter and the writers of this. Th- so the the writers, you'll know the name. You've got it written Ale- down yep. there. Alex Ganser and Howard Gordon, um, yep. who for context are, are very important figures in the early seasons of the show that as a writing partnership. They write a lot of like really classic episodes from this era of the show, and then go at much like uh, James Wong and uh, Glenn Morgan go on to great success on their own, doing other things. Most famously, creating Twenty Four and um, Homeland. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so they're really capable, strong writers, and um, so the interviews and things like that were talking about how they really weren't confident about writing for a sci-fi for the X Files about aliens. Like their their main strengths are, you know, they were saying lie in like straight drama mm. and in characterization, and so they were like, we should we should lean into that, and so it's kind of unsurprising then that I think both of us feel like the the strongest part of this episode were the aspects to do with Mulder um, and his kind of how it triggers essentially some, you know, the, the kind of feelings and reactions he has to his sister's disappearance mm. and all of that kind of thing. Um so yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like there was so much to pick apart with this mm. episode and I don't really want to because it does have quite a strong core to it in that sense. Yeah, you, you kind of wish, because one of the scenes that I think was really, really strong, it's a short one, but it's where uh, Mulder and Scully are in the car and she kind of like... Um, vocalizes like that she thinks that is it's it's that he's being driven in to investigate this case because of the personal yeah. connection and not because there's actually much there beyond the fact that a girl has disappeared yeah. and you know like he just looks at her and he has this like look on his face where he's kind of pained but also maybe on some level thinking 
maybe there's something to this like he's really trying to keep it in uh, mm. and trying to keep himself in check and yeah it really felt like if there were more moments like that or the moment when on the street where she just shouts stop running after your sister uh, at yeah. him if there were like more moments like that and that was more the focus of it more of a sense that like they'd gone rogue um it probably would have been a stronger episode overall and, and there is like there, there are, like you say there's like so much that happens in this episode like the nsa at one point break into yeah. their hotel room because the binary code that creepy kevin has been writing includes stuff from like defense satellites or something yeah. like that um and then that really just turns to turn the mum um darlene uh, who's played by carrie snodgrass um mm-hmm against them because she feels betrayed because you yeah. know, she she took them into their confidence and then the NSA showed up. Um yeah, like it, it does feel as if like that like you said there were lots of red herrings, there's lots of it just yeah. feels very overly stuffed in a way that I think speaks to what you were saying about, you know, maybe Ganser and, and Gordon not necessarily feeling all that confident in the actual sci fi elements. So they're kind of just throwing a bunch of stuff uh stuff in there. Um I think visually there's some good stuff in this episode. Um, the like the opening uh, abduction, if that's what it is. Obviously, the show is like kind of has a lot of ambiguity around that stuff. Um, yeah. You know, it, it plays on a lot of classic uh, abduction tropes. There's like bright lights. It, it recalls a lot of um, Steven Spielberg's work. Like the 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 way they show the trailer is being shaken by focusing on like coffee in a coffee cup kind of shaking mm-hmm. it's, it's very jurassic park um which probably i did wonder why a cup of coffee had just been left out overnight yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um uh, and then you know that the lights in the forest at the end is very et or close encounters yeah um so that they're not like reinventing the wheel in terms of the abduction stuff but they are doing it very well uh a touch i thought was really really good is when darlene wakes up in the camper van at the start and she runs to go out you know she grabs the door handle and it, it burns her because of the sheer heat has heated the metal and as she pulls away you can see steam kind of like floating off of her hand which mm. i i can only assume but they must have just like shot it on a very cold set so that that would appear because i'm not sure if like digitally they would have had the budget to kind of digitally add steam to, to yeah. a shot like that for a few seconds um, how else would they do that that's interesting. If we if if there's any like visual effects people out there, practically, how would you do that? Yeah, particularly in 1993. <laughs> yeah, in in 1993, how would you do that? Um, but yeah, that that I thought was was a really really good touch to indicate the heat. And then you know she puts an oven glove on, which is a very again like one of the things I think is really good about the show in these early years is they don't have it the biggest budget and also mm-hmm. effects technology at the time just isn't very advanced so they're very good at thinking of like practical ways to show things so her having to put on her oven glove to open the door handle because it's so hot um is like a good practical real world solution um and then you have stuff like when Mulder and Scully go to investigate they see that the top of the camper van has been like seared from all the heat and things like that so yeah. there's lots of like really good kind of um physical evidence of something strange happening uh going on throughout the episode which which works for it as a as a procedural of them actually trying to find out what happened yeah though i think what i was saying had they just stuck with one of those kind of three mm. elements more so my my feeling is that the the question of was it an alien abduction or no they probably would have had a kind of more consistent um meant uh, they'd have a they'd have a, a selection of more consistent bits of evidence to to look at because you know and again i don't really want to pick apart because you know i think the characterization aspect is the most important but as soon as you start thinking about it so later on in the episode when they go out to the campsite to have a look for themselves as Mulder and Scully go out to the campsite to have a look you know they point out a few things so they've already seen that the top of the camper van um, is kind of black and seared so there's clearly been something really hot potentially and and when they get to the the campsite they see that like the tops of the trees have kind of been like singed off um Mulder picks up a piece of 
glass mm. and because you know scully says well it could have been lightning and he picks up this bit of glass out of the sand and says you think a lightning strike could have caused this do you have any idea at what temperature sand solidifies in the glass 2500 degrees fahrenheit something was out here scully something hot enough to turn sand into glass to singe those trees and the blister of the roof of that camper this and it's like well yes <laughs> he doesn't think so but yes it can it's i i thought it was quite a well-known thing that lightning creates these they're called fulgurites right mm. where it's like lightning's got a lot of energy it's real hot so it, it's hot enough to melt and solidify sand into glass yeah um, like it doesn't hit sand that often usually it hits something else on the way down but yeah it's definitely something that can happen yeah but when it does like yeah. it um, we have some in the museum here in Oxford. Um, well, so anyway, great heat, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, so, but somehow Kevin was not burned or affected in all of this. And he yeah. was outside and the grass is unaffected because like there's a little beach, but they were on grass. That's un- And it's just like, had there been, and, and the thing is, it's one of these things that my brain can't help but go wait hang on and and i just i'm like it wouldn't have surely it wouldn't have taken that much extra thought and consideration to like make a much more consistent picture Mm. unless of course they really are suggesting that leaning wanting you to lean to the side of like okay well what we saw at the start of the episode is in fact from the perspective of the mum who wants it to be an alien abduction because anything else, obviously you lose a dot, like that's going to be a lot for a mother, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can imagine maybe she'd turn to a fantastical explanation because it's better than alternatives. Um, But then there's actual physical evidence, like she, her hand is actually burned. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. Exactly. Although I do love, um, obviously, you. I love wiki fandoms that like unpick <laughs> the cons- consistency errors and stuff like that. And apparently, the when her hand is wrapped up, it's the other hand, oh, the one that's shown burning. And I, maybe that's on purpose. Maybe that's because it is like what we're seeing is the story she's telling, as mm. opposed to what actually happened. Yeah. Um, and at the end as well, you know, when when Ruby does reappear, you know, obviously they're out in the forest because this has to happen in a forest sort of thing. And there's the bright lights and whatever. Um, and Mulder and Kevin are in this clearing in the forest. But then all of a sudden it's motorbikes yeah. and Ruby appears elsewhere. I don't know. Like, uh, maybe I'm coming at this from a really skeptical level, but I sort of wonder if maybe they don't, want you to think it's aliens yeah i don't know i don't know it definitely feels like if if you're kind of like evaluating each episode on like how much likely is it to be a supernatural thing or how much is it yeah this is this is one of the most ambiguous episodes in a lot of ways like her condition at the end Mulder says like you know her condition is consistent with someone who's had prolonged weightlessness by any chance was there an attendant reduction in the lymphocyte population or release of glucocorticoids Actually, both. How did you know that? They're symptoms of prolonged weightlessness. Shuttle astronauts have reported similar imbalances. So clearly, mm-hmm. there's there's like some stuff going on that maybe suggests it was an abduction. But I I think it's generally more just easier to assign this stuff to. Uh, it's easier to jump to the conclusion that it was just they didn't quite have a handle on the story, so they just throw in a lot of yeah a lot of stuff that's not quite held together like you mentioning you know why isn't kevin burned as well also reminded me there's a bit where they go to the bar to look for greg who is the boyfriend of um ruby and like he shows that his ears like horribly burnt and you know it's it's he basically says that it was burned because he saw um a ufo or something up up at lake okaboe um and yeah that's one of those things where you you start to pick apart the episodes like oh yeah why isn't like Kevin just like horrendously burnt all over his body if he yeah. was outside and it was hot enough to cause the door of the of the camper van to just be so searingly hot that it would burn his mother's hand. Um, 
yeah, it, it, it definitely feels like it's an episode that's character first and it's really good at that stuff. But yeah. you, you do kind of walk away thinking, I wish that it had the nice balance between both. Because there are other episodes of the show that, you know, explore the character of Mulder and or Scully and do it in a way that feels like really satisfying from a storytelling perspective. Whereas this, it really does feel like they threw a lot of ideas into a blender and then yeah. you kind of come out of it and you kind of thought, well, I, I learned a lot about Mulder, but it yeah. feels like you could have learned a lot of those things in a way that felt more satisfying. Yeah. Well, and not, not to like get ahead or, or spoil too much, but I, I wonder if then the the abduction episodes with Dwayne Barry mm. are a kind of redo of exactly that, but but from Scully's point of view in that time... Um, Anyway, so I'll be I, I'll be looking forward to rewatch that and and that kind of thing. But yeah, I feel like if I if I think about this episode as specifically and and the writers again in in interviews, I think they did specifically mention that they did want there to be a lot of ambiguity over what the reality that the reason behind Ruby's disappearance was. Um, and if I think, okay, well, that was their intention, and if I interpret it along those lines, like I was saying earlier, I enjoy the episode much more than mm. if I just watch it as a straight thing of alien abduction. Um, I don't know why. Maybe I like things to be complicated and, and not necessarily super obvious on the face of it, but I just think it makes it this particular episode the way you know as as shown um it just makes it more enjoyable for me because it was yeah. a straight like the first watching it first time through i was like and okay i think probably this came after squeeze squeeze is a really f- amazing episode i think any episode probably would struggle mm. to follow that and this one does probably yeah. because it follows squeeze as well more so yeah, I think as well on the ambiguity part, I think th- there is, it sounds contradictory, but there is a way to do ambiguity that's very satisfying in the sense that you look at the evidence and you can argue like one of two ways of it happening. Like the example, like the most famous example in recent years would be something like the end of Inception, where mm-hmm. there's the question of, oh, is he still in a dream? Is it still mm-hmm. reality? You, mm-hmm. can, you can argue that point either way because the film provides you with just enough evidence either way um more like going back older like one i've always quite liked is like um how stanley kubrick i think wanted to make the shining in such a way that you could think oh there's it's ghosts or it's just jack nicholson jack torrance is just insane yeah yeah losing his mind yeah and really the only point where that kind of breaks down is when he's locked in the freezer and then the ghosts let him out. But like, even then, you know, you could be kind of like, maybe he just eventually like banged it enough that the pin unlocked or whatever. Um, Whereas this, I think it's kind of like a messy kind of ambiguity. Like we just talked about here where like, there's still physical evidence that something happened Mm -hmm. and there's not Mm -hmm. a great explanation in the episode for what the alternates could have been so i think it's one of those things where like if you had done another few passes to try and really um pump up the evidence for it not being an abduction um then it would be like a little more satisfying as an ambiguous episode um instead where it does kind of feel as if the evidence is there that an abduction did take place but also that also is still not a satisfying explanation because the, the episode has gone off in so many different directions and there's so many things in it going on. Like the fact that Darlene as a mother had been um, abducted in the 60s. So that's why yeah. that's the main reason. No, she, sorry, she hadn't been abducted. She had seen she, yeah, she, a UFO she'd witnessed. Yeah. She had witnessed something with the UFO. And then later on in the episode, like she talks about how she doesn't want ruby to talk about her experiences because she'll be ostracized the way that she were she was mm-hmm. and it's like oh that's kind of like a big thing that wasn't terribly well set up anywhere else in the episode like it's uh so there's lots of these things going on um that could have made for interesting ideas to explore in an episode 
themselves. And you know, I think a lot of episodes later on do explore some of these themes as well better anyway um yeah but here it does feel like you know it's a, it's a new show new writers coming to it who don't necessarily feel that comfortable in the genre yeah. trying to make kind of hash something together and throwing in a lot of interesting ideas that unfortunately don't seem to cohere particularly well um yeah but again it has like a really strong core of advancing uh, something that is happening with one of the main characters so like you, you can't walk away f- from it thinking that it's an unremarkable episode you you just yeah. kind of walk away thinking this you wish that it was like better because you could imagine a slightly better version of this would you would have like two of the best episodes of the show back to back really between this and squeeze instead you have like squeeze which is an incredible monster of the week episode and yeah. this one which is like a pretty good character episode that that feels like it's close to greatness but doesn't quite get there yeah i i feel like it has the potential to be two or three really good episodes Mm -hmm, if they'd mm -hmm. separated out all those different elements um but yeah i mean you you say about the the evidence for what else could have happened with um ruby but do remember that at one point because I think there's always a point in an episode where Scully's getting frustrated with Mulder and mm-hmm. saying, look, it's over. We've got what we need. Let's go home. It's time to go home. And mm. there is a literally time to go home chat from Scully after they've spoken to Tessa. We have a suspect in custody. We have a confession to one murder and we have a statement which speaks to the intent to commit another. It's over, Mulder. It's time to go home and turn this over to local law enforcement. I can't do that. Mulder, where are you going? To talk to the boy. Scully won't even let you in the door. Well, I've got to see him. They don't want to have anything to do with us. Mulder, stop. Stop running after your sister. This won't bring her back. Come with me or don't come with me. But until they find a body, I'm not giving up on that girl. And I think especially because from Scully's point of view, she's been well aware from the outset that, um, you know, Mulder's emotions around his sister's disappearance is like having a big effect on him. Yeah. Um, You know, at one point after they follow the wolves into the woods, (laughs) which sounds... Yes, a bit mad. It's like Lassie. Come find the dead body in the in the woods. <laughs> um, I mean, how else would they found the dead body anyway? So yeah, they they follow the wolves into the woods and they find um, Ruby's boyfriend's grave, and and it's covered by rocks. So it's a shallow grave covered by rocks, and and Mulder starts taking the rocks off, and obviously Scully's like, "What are you doing?" Because he's disrupting a crime scene. Yeah, um, and she's like. St- she has to like really forcefully say stop what are you doing because that's how kind of like really over not over emotional completely acceptably emotional but he's like really emotional and driven and that's what he's being driven by as opposed to his maybe more objective professional head in the situation so again perfect perfect scene in terms of characterization and everything um Oh yeah, you mentioned about like uh, you know after they talk to Tessa and they feel like they've got enough um, evidence to get her on murder. I thought that um, interrogation scene was, was really good, where where Mulder plays the the bad cop and he's the bad cut, cop, yeah. He's he's really going after Tessa and trying to get her to slip up, and he does get her to like admit that she was at the lake the night that Ruby disappeared. Um, yeah, and that. That, those are the sort of scenes that um, I always really like in procedurals. I think in the past I've talked about how much I like um, Homicide Life on the Street, which is uh, consists of a lot of those sort of episodes, mm. of those scenes where characters are, you know, trying to break someone down. And yeah. um, I think it's it's interesting because it's in the the episodes we've seen so far, Mulder has has been presented as you know he's a bit of a kook. He's he's a bit odd. Um, this is like I think one of the first times we've seen him do like actual like police work essentially mm-hmm. obviously the FBI is slightly different from police but but yeah that's basically what it is which is like taking a uh, a suspect into a room and then trying to get them to 
say some things that bring up in- inconsistencies and so you can get them to slip up. Um, I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, that makes for a nice change of pace, but uh, but it also still advances the character because he's clearly very, very upset in yeah. that scene. He's He's like really going hard at her in a way that suggests that this whole case is really starting to get to him. Uh, and I, yeah. I really like the way that Dukovny plays those moments. Yeah, and I mean, you can just sense that in one way, you know, it's it's kind of bringing up emotions about his sister and everything. But I sort of felt like whenever he was saying things like, I can't stop until we find her. Mm-hmm. And he's literally talking about ruby but i feel like he was actually talking about sam his his sister yeah so like it's in that it's just this is what kind of makes it a bit frustrating because in that sense when i think about those elements it's like masterpiece Mm -hmm. Um, the rest of it is just a bit frustrating Um, yeah i got that because there's some really good lines in this episode on that regard like there's one point he says uh that he feels like he's still walking into that room every day of his life where he's talking about you know the hope that one day he'd like walk into a room and his sister would still be there where you kind of think god that's such a perfect one line description of the feeling that is when you when you've lost someone and you've lost someone like very young very unexpectedly um that sense of like thinking one day you'll wake up and they'll just be there and you think god like that's so good he plays it so well the writing around that stuff is so is so great and then you kind of think what else happens in this episode it's a kid there's a kid he like writes binary and then at one point they lay all the pieces at the pieces all laid out and it's his sister's face in the binary um yeah which i thought i I saw in um in monsters of the week by uh, zach candlin and emily st james there's a little note in there that apparently uh i think it was Alex Ganza said that those moments were referred to on the show as big boo moments, which are the moments that are you are meant to act, end an act on that make the audience kind of like sit up and think, oh, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Um, and like I thought, oh, that's kind of effective. But then like again, in talking to you now, and when you think about, about the episodes, like, it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> no. And do you know what? I, I said we need to talk about Kevin, but actually, in reality, this, epito- this episode could have done with not talking about Kevin. Mm. Like, that, that conduit element, as, as an X-File in itself, that an episode would have been great to, like, dive into. But it just feels like such a distraction from what mm. is otherwise just really masterfully done um yeah apparently um the person in the the production person who or or art department who had to make that um ones and zeros um i don't know collage call that a collage you know tons of pieces of paper on the floor where um Mulder and scully are you know standing looking at it and then scully goes up some stairs and sees it from above and then you see that it's got the face of ruby in it Apparently that took like days and days yeah, I can imagine. to make <laughs> and it features for all of about like two seconds or something. Um, but hey, that, I, that's TV artwork, I guess. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, actual police or FBI work, I did appreciate the uh, sort of mention of the bureaucracy at the outset Mm. you know is this thing of like blevins being like Mulder's tried to raise a 302 in Uh, essence Mulder is petitioning the bureau to assign a case number to a tabloid headline he must have more evidence not according to his 302 he doesn't (laughs) and all this um but also apparently according to leaky fandom this is the first episode that an actual gun is fired by Mulder or scully um Mm. this time just to make the wolves scatter so it's not actually shoot shooting at anyone um and i'm like did they not shoot anyone in the it was was a gun not fired in the last episode but i don't think i don't think there was so no because when they take down when they take down tombs they just like um they just handcuff him to the pipe don't they yeah um, so yeah, so yeah, they, yeah. Don't, they don't shoot him although uh, i imagine i think Mulder has his drun, gun drawn just in case but mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting yeah. It, it is very it's not a very um gunfire heavy show no. for a lot of the time anyway which which I, makes sense 
we we could see how we could do a bar chart um and see how the number of shots fired probably increases over time mm. <laughs> i bet if anything um you'll recall uh i think we mentioned maybe it was in episode zero our episode zero uh you you mentioned something about how um various dates and numbers that are mm-hmm. relevant to chris carter and the the crew come up and maybe we could use this to crack chris carter's email um <laughs> There was there was another couple that featured in the show again. Of course, do you know I love these wiki fan fan wiki things because people really, I I love it. I really love it. So there's a couple. One, um, so uh, according to Scala, Tessa had a doctor's appointment scheduled on August seventh, mm-hmm. day before your birthday. That's right. Um, uh, that's David Duchovny's birthday. Yes, it is. I I noticed that. Um. Because I, I I find it very odd that his birthday and Gillian uh, Anderson's are two days apart. <laughs> hers is the ninth. Ah. Hers is the ninth of August, but obviously, oh, ye- right, yeah. obviously years apart. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, yeah. so so it's David, you, and then Gillian Anderson. That's yeah. a fun <laughs> trio of days <laughs> of celebration. Yeah. Um, the the other one is that the the X file the file. Uh, number for Sam Mulder's abduction case is labeled X yada 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 and um, that she disappeared from 2790 Vine Street in Chilmark, Massachusetts. Uh, apparently 2790 was once the address of the X-Files production office in Vancouver. Yeah. So there you go. Um, important numbers, dates, whatever showing up. Yeah, um, anyone who's into numerology who wants to start adding the different numbers together to see see what it will uh, means i i honestly hope someone has done that um <laughs> apparently someone tried to work out you know the ones and zeros that that uh kevin creepy kevin um was writing someone tried to sort of decode what that was um so the binary code and and it's just completely ran it's just completely random and um apparently once put through an ASCII table, reveals the binary code means nothing. There is not a single English <laughs> letter in the final translation. Um, so there you go. Yeah, I, d- I do like the moment when they're talking to one of the other agents that they've consulted on it, and she brings up like on the computer what some of the binary means, and it's like, yo, it's a, it's a double helix. It's part of yeah. the of some of something by Michelangelo. There's bits of songs and things like that. I go, yeah. oh yeah, that's quite interesting also doesn't really amount to very much that it's that he's just getting bits and pieces of signals of stuff as if you're turning the television as they say which is again one of those things where when they say it in the episode it's like oh that seems significant and then totally isn't um yeah <laughs> i thought it was funny you mentioning kevin being a distraction because that literally is what he is in the final act where he kind of like runs off Mulder f- chases after him he sees they see the light it turns out to be bikers mm-hmm. um which is I, something about me that just strikes me as so funny as a fake out. It's just like yeah. there were some bikers in earlier in the episode, <laughs> so yeah, by yeah. the way, they're obviously going to show up now. It's like a very weird. Well, and and the sheriff was like the earlier like was being really dismissive. Well, no, he was being dismissive about Ruby, saying mm. that you know she got into trouble quite a lot, and yeah, you know he was often pulling her out of the back seats of cars and. Um, wouldn't I think? I think he actually says he wouldn't be surprised if she'd gone off with a biker, and maybe her boyfriend was a biker. There, there was some line like that somewhere. So, like, it were it works on multiple levels. But yes, literal distraction at the point of return of Ruby. Yeah, yeah. Then, then suddenly (laughs) Scully starts shouting. It's like, oh, she's back. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and again, this is just like the forest being used as a tool to like divide the characters mm-hmm. so that they're in different places and see different things um and presumably scully herself didn't actually see where um ruby came from she just came across her first yeah um but but yeah um a complete maybe a complete aside but whilst i was like looking up things about this and i sort of went and i was like is like okaboji a real thing mm-hmm. um and it turns out it is, although a bit differently from how it's depicted in this. But yeah, this I is was a lake like, in British Columbia, I think, where they're where they're filming. Yeah, it. so it was at yeah the 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 one they filmed, but also like there 
there are lakes Okaboji in Iowa. Um, so it's not just one lake, mm. and it's unfortunately it's not it's not known either as a trout fishing place or a UFO <laughs> hotspot. Um, because I came across this blog um, by someone from that area from Sioux City in Iowa, um, and like they'd gone through and written about the episode and how well it depicted that place and Mm -hmm. it was talking about all the landmarks and like i wasn't actually expecting it to like actually be the same because obviously it was filmed in vancouver and it would have been pretty impressive they've found the perfect setup of like the police station relative to the library like of course it's not quite right across the road um but i did think oh this is an interesting way of doing like travel reading Mm -hmm. (laughs) of the places that are depicted so i quite enjoyed reading that anyway um yeah learning about people's different places where they live through the prism that is the x-files you can like see you can learn so much science history sociology geography I really liked the line, ask an impertinent question and you're on your way to a pertinent answer, like Mulder's description of what science is. Um, yeah. I thought, that's that's a very, like, nice philosophy for, for science. Um, I think so. And also a really good way of telling your bosses to fuck off. I'm going <laughs> to investigate this weird tabloid case because I think it sounds like it would be important. Um, yeah. I also thought um, it was... I thought it was very weird when they get to the house at the beginning and Mulder sees, like, the picture of Ruby and then he starts touching it, um, mm. which I, I, I is obviously meant to be a way of um, indicating that, you know, he's clearly very affected by this thing and there's, yeah. there's that personal aspect of it. But I do kind of think that, I don't know, if an FBI agent showed up at my house and just started touching pictures of my family, I'd be like... That's probably a step too far. You probably could have got a lot more. Uh, could have got the same sense of if he's just like standing there, and then Scully is like, "Hey, Mulder," and you, you know, because he's just like yeah. distracted by it. But he was, and also like the way he put his hand on it was like it was like a really weird angle as well. So it didn't seem like it would have been a comfortable <laughs> way to pour a, a photo. It was just like that was just a really weird choice. <laughs> yeah, you know when you talk about those things where it's like th- th- this is definitely probably not what someone would do or how something would actually happen in real mm-hmm. life but mm-hmm. you just need to visually show something yeah it's definitely that i but yeah i was a bit like that's a bit weird and i don't know if maybe it's just different times and people respond to these kind of things differently but well yeah, the, that the was a bit ox the 90s was like the height of stranger danger like concerns so it definitely thinks like it would have been really inappropriate to just go into a stranger's house and stop yeah. pouring at their family uh their family photos um another yeah like, you'd be like get out my house <laughs> are you really with the fbi yeah. I, I can i call someone to confirm this? you seem desperate to talk to my son kevin um, <laughs> um the other line I thought was really, really funny is when the NSA show up and uh, right after they leave, um, Mulder and Scully are talking. And, and... They think the boy may be a threat to national security. Come on. How can an eight-year-old boy who can barely multiply be a threat to national security? People call me paranoid. Well, how did... <laughs> Which is just, I thought was a very, very funny joke. <laughs> very, yeah, very well he's handled. An... He's eight years old. How could he be a danger to anyone? Um, despite the fact that this is obviously one of the more serious episodes and is is not even trying to be funny in the slightest, they still do manage to get a few like classic Mulder cli- uh, quips into there. Because mm. um, I did also like, uh, you know, in the beginning when they're initially discussing, um, you know, why it is what it is about this tabloid headline um that's so convincing um and scully asks why is it more credible than the hundred year old with a lizard baby <laughs> um and then you know it's like what's been going on at okaboji but even the way he just says like okaboji okay what boji okaboji it sets off a, a nice light start to the episode and then obviously things get more serious mm. um 
speaking of the seriousness, I also think that the ending to this episode, which is of, like I mentioned earlier, like Scully is listening to the recording of the tape and then mm-hmm. it transitions over and it's Mulder sitting in a church by himself. And then as the episode is kind of like fading out, um, he's talking about how uh, the, the psychiatrist or whoever is conducting the the session mm-hmm. uh, asks him like, do you do you believe that they'll bring her back? And it ends with him just saying, I want to believe. Are you scared? I know I should be, but I'm not. Do you know why? Because of the voice. The voice? The voice in my head. What's it telling you? Not to be afraid. It's telling me that no harm will come to her. And that one day she'll return. Do you believe the voice? I want to believe. Like, hey, you brought it all the way back to that and, and made made that phrase, which could be, you know, very, um, I don't know, mimetic or whatever, like just something that's just something you say that doesn't necessarily have any real weight to it uh, mm-hmm. into something that's very personal to Mulder. It's like, oh, that's, yeah. that's really nice the way they did that. Yeah, definitely. I, I have, a, sorry, I have one more casting cast trivia here, which mm-hmm. you haven't mentioned, um, but I like this. Uh, so the actress Shelley Owens, who who is Tessa in this episode, she's the sister of Chris Owens, who does feature again in the X Files in quite a major way. Oh, nice! But I'm not Very gonna cool. say because we're avoiding spoilers and things. But like in season five, he'll he'll first show up and and then throughout again in a couple more seasons. Nice. So, yeah, small the X the the small world of the X Files. Yeah, the the Canadian acting scene. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what do you mean? There aren't tons and tons and tons of actors in Canada. (laughs) Right, Ryan Reynolds, Canadian. Yes, and again, slight spoilers. He shows up at one point in the X Files. (laughs) Does he? Oh, yes, he does. Yeah, he's in he's in a cold open. Really young. Yeah. Pretty Uh, young. Yeah, I think there's a few more. I don't remember if they're in this season or next season but there's definitely like there's there's so many like people who like young canadian actors who then go on to have like fairly lengthy hollywood careers who show up in this because you know it's it's like the way that so many young actors who like in new york would get their first role playing someone on like law and order or whatever whereas like it's a show that is filming in the place that you live so it's a really good way for you to get your first credit yeah yeah Cool. So, what's it? If you're gonna, we haven't really been scoring these episodes or anything. But mm. what's your kind of final takeaway? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I guess we could kind of like go through the ones that have been released. We've we've talked about so far. So I'd say like pilot. That's probably like an eight. I would say like it's it's mm-hmm. really solid. Guess what it's trying to do? Deep throat. It's probably seven because it's yeah. like a little. It's it's good and kind of gives you the conspiracy, but it's kind of like this one as well where it feels a little disparate squeeze it's that's a 10 like squeeze squeeze is perfect Um, 11 yeah yeah we're gonna break our own scale right away yeah um and then this it's probably in the six or seven range like there's there's enough that's really good about it that you you can't like dismiss it but you do kind of walk away like like i've been saying like you do walk away thinking god there's there's so much that could be yeah really really good in this episode that just doesn't quite come together what about you what yeah, I well, I agree with with um, your others. For this one, I think whilst there's so much that's strong to it, I think the things that let it down, they let it down in a really frustrating kind of way. So mm-hmm. yeah, you could see what it could be, but based on what it is, um, the character side of things, I would give like an eight, or, an eight or a nine probably, because um, it's really really strong, but as an episode altogether I'd probably drop it down to a 5 personally yeah yeah that makes sense well great thanks everyone for listening to this episode please uh, yeah, rate us review us subscribe to us all the all those things uh, that help us yeah, build our audience uh, you can also find us on twitter where we're at the far room pod you can email us at the far room pod at gmail.com uh yeah so if, if you know your, your thoughts on this episode on you know any, any of the the themes that it touches upon 
uh, we'd love to hear from you and yeah uh, thanks again for listening uh, our music is by Lionel Cassio we'll be back next time to talk about the episode Jersey Devil classic yep it's gonna be a good one but until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me real.